You're listening to Hot Leaf Juice, the Tea Community Podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for downloading this episode. So this is a shorter episode uh, by Runtime, and I'm going to spend a little bit more time uh, talking about and reflecting on the conversation that I just had with Jeffrey McIntosh. He was such a great guest, and I could tell from seeing him elsewhere uh, on the internet that uh, this guy's like a true tea nerd in really the best, most loving sense that I can uh, I can say that one tea nerd to another. He has a really clear passion for the detailed niche and even esoteric aspect of tea and you can just I could I could hear it in his voice when I saw him uh, on Instagram videos just talking to people about tea he's also someone who has come to his place in the tea industry through like gaining an understanding of the technical business aspect of it he's definitely a startup guy and he also has latched on to an understanding of those details in that discipline from that from that reference and I think that's a really helpful uh, way of talking about it. Hearing him talk about the segment of the tea market, he said that in very technical language he wanted to find, is actually something that I've heard uh, from plenty of other tea vendors. That is, that there is this vast swath of people who will like tea if given the opportunity, but are never going to teach themselves how to pronounce pinion or become the kind of niche tea nerd that, frankly, I, and I would guess a lot of you listening probably are. Uh, not everyone's gonna be into that uh, in that level, and they don't need to be. That's definitely not the one true way of enjoying tea. So there is a there's a pretty strong belief out there that, that somewhere between the edge of Starbucks and the beginning of many specialty tea vendors, there's just a lot of people to reach out to. And, and Jeffrey doesn't use this phrase in the episode, but he's clearly operating on what I think is a very wise maxim. That is that you have to. Um, meet people quote where they are and i think this is a really significant life lesson in general that can be expanded uh, far beyond tea or hobbies when you share something you love with somebody else you are bringing with you all of your own psychological baggage that make up the context in which you first discovered that thing so i mean have you ever discovered a great album or a movie on your own and then loved it so much that you sit your friend down to enjoy it with you and they're just not into it or they appreciate it in an entirely different way uh that person might appreciate the thing that you enjoy as well uh but every individual person reflects their experiences against the context of the life that they've lived so far so what jeffrey talks about with his strategy is that he wants to find out where people are with their relationship to tea and introduce good clean tea to them in a way that really fits their current psychological profile, uh, given the the information that, that he is he has at his disposal. So you know, overall, we had a really great uh, kind of short conversation that I'm really sure you'll enjoy because I had a lot a lot of fun talking to him, and I always I always think that that is the secret ingredient that makes any kind of podcast or uh, any kind of passion project at all really work is if you're really enjoying yourself and you find other people to share that with that are also just having a great time uh, getting into the weeds and details along with you. So uh, thanks again to uh, everyone who's listened to the podcast.
podcast so far. Uh, thanks so much for Equity Slate for writing the music that you're hearing right now. And if you want to support him, uh, you can find more music he's created. Check out Equity Slate on Bandcamp and on SoundCloud. And I always put the uh, links to those profiles in the description of the show. And I'm always available at uh, Barry at hotleafuse.org if you have any questions or comments or uh, tips on brewing tea better. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all here. So thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Cool. So Jeff, uh, Jeff um, are you Jeff or are you Jeffrey? Um, either way, it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so your your company is called uh, My Tea Book, and I think you've launched fairly recently because uh, I think I saw you for the first time only earlier this year. I don't think I even knew that your company existed in 2016. When did you officially launch? Um, well, we're, we're getting close to two years. Um, we launched actually in 2015 out of the Founders Institute, but we were under a different name. We were under Shin uh, Chan Cha, which is like the Zen Mountain Teas. Um, but then we went to the Founders Institute, which is a startup accelerator program. It's one of the best in the world right now. They have 185 cohorts around the world. Um, but when we launched in that, we did a lot of customer evaluation and data and research and we started to find a name that was more approachable Mm -hmm. so but we're almost once the launching of t-book with an actual product um it'll almost be two years now next month oh wow well congratulations on uh on making uh two trips around the sun there so when you were in your incubator uh what did you learn about it sounds like you did a lot of homework while you were in there what kind of uh what was the whole? You know, what did you learn about the potential, you know, customers, people who people who you want to sell tea to? So we learned a lot because with my previous companies, which some people know me from, was Macintosh Tea, which was a very high end. Um, I don't want to use the word, but it kind of was somewhat elitist um, point of view with very high end clientele, and it was a very much a very Chinese cultural experience with tea trying to find very high-end ancient arbor teas and getting them to a few select people that really were in that niche. Um, And as time went on with that company, I started to engage with more and more people, and I started to engage with some people that are high level of tea and others that had a low level of tea. And I started to find out that everyone loved the experience of loose leaf tea and gaiwans and teapots, but it didn't really fit into their life. So... After about five or six years of doing this, I worked with a few other companies and I saw the same problem over and over again, which was the really new tea drinkers couldn't really get into tea. And my first experience with tea changed my life. And I was wanting to think, how can I give that same experience I first had to as many people as possible? So we went into the the startup, the Founders Institute program. Um, they really was, they were very aggressive because it's some of the top, Um, CEOs and thought leaders and entrepreneurship and startup and there's a new group of people every week and they listen to your pitch and they critique it and they change it and they tell you why why it's going to be fail and why it's so bad and we went through this period of what is um, your customer segment what is um, how you're going to bring in revenue what is your acquisition costs and I started to get a really big reality check that all the knowledge I had in tea was so niche and it was so far away from the the everyday daily tea drinker um, and I needed to get to a point where how can I build this bridge of everyone's drinking cut loose leaf tea out of tea bags or they're drinking premium tea and where is the bridge where is the affordable entry point 
Um, so a lot of the research we did on was how can you acquire a customer if they've never drunken tea before, but they're interested in loose leaf tea? Because that's the biggest barrier. Because with loose leaf tea, it's not not yet a commodity. It's more an experience. So your whole company is taking that cup and letting the consumer drink it. And when they drink that tea, that's when they're like, wow, it can taste like that. But when you're running an online business, you can't let them try the tea. So we found out after doing multiple focus groups and a bunch of um, surveys, we worked with the UW Foster's program and got some of the undergraduates and graduates to work with us and do focus groups. We found that many, many young people, the millennials, are driving the growth in the tea industry. So there's Mm -hmm. about 80-plus percent of millennials that are drinking tea, um, and they have a strong interest, but they don't want to buy into the mindfulness trend because they don't believe you can buy mindfulness. That's something that's self-cultivated. But they want to buy and associate themselves with products that have mindfulness or meditative qualities. So we say we have to build a company that the first time they do this purchase, um, they're doing it, they're purchasing it because they want that meditative feeling. They want the feeling you get after you drink tea. That's what they're buying. Because once they buy that, then they have the opportunity to drink that tea. And once they experience that good quality tasting tea, then you can start to sell them tea. So that was the biggest hurdle was how do you sell them a product that's so experiential without them having to try it yet. Um, so we just really narrowed down our demographic and who they are and where they go. Because our company is very different than a lot of the other tea startup companies. We are approaching the modern tea drinker. We want to build the industry. We don't want to tap into a niche. Um, we want to help build the industry and help it grow by bringing education um, and also finding those people that have a small interest in tea and giving them all the tools they need to brew that perfect cup of tea so they can kind of be a gateway. And then later down the road, we can slowly introduce, you know, yeasting teapots or porcelain teaware. Right now, we're doing a production of um, high-quality porcelain, et cetera. So what are the doorways? You know, you know to keep with a little bit of your analogy, you know, if, if, you're, if you're looking to get people across the bridge from to sort of non-tea drinking or casual tea drinking to being part of tea cult, you know, sort of tea culture as a, as a hobby or as a, as, as, a, as a person who's equipped to create that experience for themselves. What are the doors through which you find your research either at the incubator or in the last two years? How do you find that people come through to find not just your company, but loose tea in general? Is it, do people know, is it, is it a, like a word of mouth kind of a thing or do targeted ads work or is it is so strong social media presence sure well i hate to use this words conversions and stuff in the tea community because i've been getting very business oriented but the That's highest okay. conversion <laughs> the, the highest conversion to tell you the truth is word of mouth like that's why my most recent article in fresh cup that was released this month i encourage everyone with small level high level to open tea studios and share their love and passion of tea with their friends because if you have a friend that tells you about tea and you come over and you drink it, you're going to love that experience. And you might want to do it more often. But you won't necessarily go to your friend's house. He'll make a perfect cup of tea with you with all of the tea utensils and gaiwans. You may not go home and say, I want to go buy a gaiwan and have this whole setup. But there's usually a group of people, and there's one or two people in the friend groups that are really into tea and they want to share that experience with their friends. And once that's how it really changes someone's mind, where you can really give them the full experience of I guess what in the West they call Kung Fu tea. Um, that's number one. That's the best thing. So we want to help people open tea studios and have more people give them that experience. Um, the second thing is really, really um, a lot of 
not so much like transparency, like this is the farmer's name and he stubbed his toe on this rock this day when he picked this tea. Not that kind of transparency, but the transparency of um, you are involved with the sourcing process. You are involved with the people that are bringing you a tea and you're tasting these teas and you have connections and partners in China. Um, and to show that you have you have this kind of relationship with China and the farm is important because it brings trust to your brand. Um, and also we found out that people more care about cleanliness, affordability, and taste. This is modern tea drinkers, of course, mm -hmm. rather than certain names or provinces or hype, etc. And a lot of the heavy amounts of culture and history are a barrier to American consumers. Um, and that's what I found in the previous and why T-Book was invented. T-Book, the monthly subscription, is not supposed to fulfill all of your monthly tea drinking needs. What it is, is it's supposed to every month you get it, and it's a new type of tea every month, and you can learn about the tea. And you can learn very, very basic. What is the difference between green and oolong? What is the difference between white and red tea? Very, very simple basic knowledge, because believe it or not, the majority of the consumers in America, because we may be drinking tea a lot, and we understand there's poor and there's different tea mountains, but the people that want to get into tea don't really know the difference. And so how can you provide them an experience that feels high-end and simple, but they can slowly learn? And the more you interact with the product, um, you can get there. Also, one more, one more point, sorry, is what is the friction points for Americans drinking tea? There's three major friction points. Um, when a, someone comes into a company or contact with a company and they drink a tea, they love it. They always want that experience, but it doesn't fit into their life because of three reasons. One, there's a preparation involved with loose leaf tea. That's tea to water ratio. How much tea and how much water am I going to use? How long am I going to steep the tea? Um, and how hot is the water? And so this is second nature to most people, especially in Asia, but to a new tea drinker, this is intimidating to the fact where they may even purchase that $40 tea and some kettles and teapots and go home and then they won't actually end up steeping the tea or they'll end up steeping the tea and making it bitter. So removing those friction points for the new modern tea drinker is very important. That's why all of our teas pre-portioned packets. We give that double wall glass tea tumbler for free in the subscription because it takes away and it enables the user to enter that world of tea without those friction points. You said there were three friction points. So I have down, uh, you said prep and then water water to, to tea ratio. What was the third? Oh, sorry. Tea to water ratio, how long you steep it, and water temperature. Okay. Now, why do you think that there is this education gap? And I guess it's, it's interesting because once you're inside of a hobby, it is sometimes hard to extract yourself. Why, why do you think there is an education gap? Because I guess as a person who's been into tea for a couple of years now, I think that's on the package of every single kind of tea I've ever, bu I've ever bought from everything from something in the mall to a, a specialty store on the internet or through eBay and Taobao. Like, almost everybody has some kind of suggestions for water temperature and steeping times. Uh, I will say tea-water ratio is probably the most esoteric of the things you've named that is also very is also at the same time very important. So why, why do you think the education gap exists in a world where so much information is so freely available? That, what, that's the thing. It's so freely available by so many different sources, and everyone has their own take on it, um, that having all of those instructions on the back of a packet can still seem intimidating. Um, like with T-Book, we removed it all. 
like we pre-portion all the tea for you. We have the bottle for you. You just put it in there. You don't have to worry about how long you steep it. And that's um, your glass tumbler that you you feature on your site pretty prominently, right? That's what you've designed yeah. your portions for. Okay. How many yeah, milliliters we, is that? Out that's of curiosity. Not, Nine point nine point five ounces. Okay, all right. And the reason is we put a very small amount of tea. And now this isn't the optimal way to enjoy expensive loose leaf tea. Um, but what it does is, is for a small amount of package, you could literally send that introductory tea book to any one of your friends that doesn't know about tea and say, drink this, try it, and they can make a perfect cup of tea. Now, whether they want to continue brewing tea that way or graduate to the next level, that'll be up to them. But we found the majority of people... 90%, 80% of the consumers want to stay in a very, very simple tea-consuming habit because they don't want to get more complex than, like, easy brew coffee, let's say. So that's what, once again, our demographics are a little different tea companies. Um, but I think once you – also another reason with the education is – I don't mean this in a bad way, but there are way too many armchair experts in this field. And I think as a thought leader or a tea hobbyist or someone who really understands tea, it's very, very important – that every once in a while, you write a very almost point of view on how to enjoy tea and not get too niche, not get too into the field because then there's all these bloggers that get so niche that when someone who's just getting into tea or maybe they heard about Oprah's chai from Starbucks and they want to try a different experience, where is that, where is that information of very simple knowledge accessible? Um, and I feel like it's a lot, of, a lot of hype and a lot of marketing around matcha or it's on the whole other level, which is awesome which is these people that have been drinking tea for 10 years and they're talking about ancient arbor poor teas that have been dry storage, which is really cool. But it, there needs to be a large amount of information that's very, very simple and easy to access. And another thing I've been, I've been seeing with when I've been doing some consulting work for a lot of bigger tea companies is there's too many teas on the menu. Like a lot of big companies like Tivana's and David's Teas, uh, if someone's new to tea, they go in there and they see a menu of 100 loose-leaf teas and 17 different types of green teas it's, it's too comp complicated. They don't even know the difference between white and oolong, let alone being able to distinguish the different qualities in green tea. Um, so I think everyone wants to get to this beautiful, sincere, amazing, lucid tea experience in the industry, but we aren't focusing on how to take the majority of the American population and take them there. Where's the bridge to bring them to this incredible experience of multiple types of lucid tea from different cities and different provinces? But first... What is the very, very basic foundation of education they need in order to understand those teas? It reminds me of the question, you know, the, yeah, and this can be applied to other fields as well, but the idea that uh, what's the heuristic that most people use to decide what information they trust, right? Because there's, there's a big difference between having information and your disposition towards that information. If you have a skeptical disposition towards information because of who is speaking to you or how they're speaking to you, that's going to change how you internalize that information. So even in a world where you have a lot of knowledge being thrown at you, individual people have their own ways of determining who is trustworthy. And I think that goes back to what we were saying earlier True. about the uh, the word of mouth being really helpful. Because uh, you do trust, everyone trusts their friends. Uh, yep. Or else you wouldn't be friends with them. <laughs> and they might not trust me or a blogger. Uh, and that's interesting. So, so I guess your research has found that people get lost on the stairway down to to Old Arbor Pur from from tea, from tea bags. Basically, they they fall, they stumble down, and they don't make it all the way down. Yeah, and I, and I think I think the best friend here, because there's no real simple answer to that, because it's pretty complicated. Because China has such huge history, and so when you go and have an experience in China, it's just very 
it's just very profound and surreal. So you want to bring that experience back to the U.S. Um, and I think what we really need to do is um, we need to essentially get very quality, high quality, very clean, good tasting, affordable tea into American people's hands and have them develop their own taste and their own standard for loose leaf tea. And I think the only way to really do that is to um, um, I think the I think the other reason is your best friend here is to give people as many experiences as possible. And the more tea you drink, the more experiences you have with different types of friends, different types of tea companies, this will build your knowledge. Because tea is a very personal experience. As long as the tea is really clean, it's good quality, it tastes good, and it's affordable, um, then you can start to build your own taste. But experience is your best friends you just want to try 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 and really encourage people to try more teas i think the more open you are about that the more people are going to listen to you more yeah i usually tell people if they're like i don't know what to do i say try teas from different countries you know tried tea from kenya and india and china and taiwan but uh, you know i i i was wondering um you you recently have opened a tea tasting studio in uh the seattle area is that that's where you're based right yeah uh, how long has that? How has that been going? Because I think that's pretty recent for you, right? The the studio. Yeah, very very recent. I actually, converted one of my houses into the tea studio. Um, because we were having, we were trying to raise a bunch of money, and we only closed half the round. And yeah, that was just great. Yeah, so we opened a tea studio in my house instead. Um, and we've only been open about a couple months. Um, it's gone very very well because what we did was we provided a very high quality tea experience to a neighborhood that wouldn't normally have it. Um, and it was very simple to do, and it was very affordable to do. Um, and it seems a little unprofessional at times, but then again, you're still giving someone a very unique experience with wooden tea tables and Chinese porcelain. And you can talk to people and give them that experience of tea. Um, and if you're thinking about opening a tea studio, whether wherever you are, whoever you are listening to this uh, podcast, it's very easy to do. Um, and you don't want to invest too much in the beginning. You just want to bring in some teas you like. You are a tea studio. You're not a supply chain, so don't worry about having every type of tea. But find a tea you're really passionate about, and then just start by inviting a few of your friends over. And then the next step is tell your friends to invite some of their friends and just see how it goes. And if there's a, there's a big acceptance and people love the experience, then you can go down one of two channels. One, you can charge a very small fee, for people to come, you can say a water fee or tea tasting fee, because it's not about making money, but you still need to pay for your cost. Um, and then people can come and give you a small fee and have a wonderful experience. The second route is to talk to um, other small companies and see if you can use their teas at the tea studios. Um, a lot of times, small companies would love to do small partnerships, and then you can make a small amount of money selling some bulk loose leaf tea. Um, and then if all of that goes well, you can look into you know getting an LLC or something. That's really interesting. So you have have you known anybody else who has gone through that sequence um, that you just that you just uh, prescribed? Um, well, almost every company in China does that. They start in their home or apartment. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's very very common here. Um, most like a small niche uh, high end tea companies will just um, very niche companies. People that are introducing connections to distributors will just have a small little area in their house and they'll sell tea that way. Because um, the overhead can get expensive, um, and if you're just selling, you know, 100 to 250 kilos of tea, you don't really need to open a factory. Um, but in America, I've seen more and more people do it. There's a there's a few Taiwanese companies that have done that in um, Canada, like a really really tiny shopping mall area. They open this tiny little tasting studio, 
um, and it's gone quite well because if you think about the cost to ratio, you're going to be working out of your house anyway, and if you can have 100 people come to your house a month and you can give them an experience, the cost of acquiring that customer is going to be way lower than online because if you're doing PPC or Twitter ads or Facebook, you're looking at a very high to co- high customer acquisition cost because, one, you have to find the messaging that appeals to that consumer, get them to your website, make them believe what you have is quality, and that's going to create a t- tremendous amount of video content you have to create, blog content you have to create, photo content you have to create, and it won't necessarily convert into a sale. Um, but if it's in person, because once again, tea is not a commodity, it's an experience. You want to really, really um, hone into that experience and slowly build your company word of mouth. Because we still have a long way to go in this tea industry, so every small little introduction really does help. Yeah, and I hope this I hope this podcast is every episode is a small little introduction to uh, a handful of a handful of people. So I, I really appreciate your uh, your emphasis on what I would guess I would call sort of grassroots uh, tea evangelism, right? And uh, what is outside of uh, uh, the the studio you have when you're not in China? What's your ground game for growing tea book when you're in the U.S.? Uh, social media and festivals. Festivals are huge, 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 huge um, because, it's once again, it's like taking that T-Studio and making it mobile. So another thing we do is we always want to make sure we understand that we're a new company and it's still a little bit of a, a little bit of a risk for the consumer to purchase the first time. So whenever we have a lot of um, extra little capital, we always are sponsors for T-Festivals. And I also recommend this for other small T-Companies. If you sponsor other tea festivals, it shows that you're really interacting with the community. And you don't have to get anything crazy. You don't have to get a gold sponsorship. But a small sponsorship like the Portland Tea Festival, the Northwest Tea Festival, with both of those tea festivals are coming up. So please check those out. July 22nd um, is Portland Tea Festival. And I think September 30th is is the Seattle Tea Festival. Um, And the rest of the time is Instagram, tons of beautiful photos. Instagram's actually really been huge for us. Um, yeah, Instagram is great for my tea is my Instagram started out a couple years ago as just people I know, and now it's all it's all tea people. I can't even find <laughs> people I know. <laughs> I'm fine with that actually. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, but social media is is a huge thing for small businesses. If you get beautiful content, and you don't need to get super crazy about like I need to have one sales post and five beautiful photo posts. Just be really genuine and honest and just like share your experience. People just love seeing people just like chilling out, drinking tea because it makes it approachable. Just a bunch of your friends kicking around the table, drinking tea, laughing. Like those photos I think are the most um, important for growing the American tea business because it makes it less Chinese and less foreign and less fantasy and makes it very real. Like, oh, I could be doing that with my friends. So you're in China now and you're gonna be there for the next two months? Uh, I think a month left. A month left. Okay, so you've been there for a little while, uh, and you've got a couple of weeks to go. Uh, what's what's the so when you're you're going to visit a lot of farms? Uh, what is the criteria you use when you're visiting a farm? You know, you said you're interested in in clean tea and in tea that sort of obviously tastes good. So when you're evaluating tea and you're evaluating uh, sort of farms, what what do you, what do you look for? Like what what is what is what's what's the good what's the best kind of source for a tea that you you're looking for right now? So this is a great question, and I apologize. It's going to be a little bit of a long answer. But stay with me. Let's okay. go with it. Um, one thing I want everyone to know is I don't do this by myself. It would be almost impossible to source tea from so many different gardens, from so many re- regions, especially as a foreigner. 
no matter how fluent I may be or understanding of the culture, it's almost impossible because the tea industry is so complex. You have the farmers, which pick the tea. You have the masters at the farmers, which is either a son or a farmer or a colleague that is processing the pick tea. So you have to go visit all these different gardens. And then the tea masters don't usually sell tea to people that sell the tea to consumers. There's always a distributor. But then there also is an import-export agent. So those people you want to be careful of if you're a small company and you're sourcing tea for the first time through Taobao or Alibaba or through a friend. Make sure that you are in contact with a distributor who gets teas from the farms, not an import-export agent who may have very little understanding of tea but have a huge catalog of teas. So that's a very important distinction. Um, so when I have, the last eight years I have come to China very, very often, I have developed partnerships. So I work very, very, very closely with Mr. Duan, who's the president um, and CEO of Changsha NutriHealth, who's been in the industry for over 20 years. He has colleagues and relationships in 36 gardens in seven provinces because he graduated from the Hunan Tea Science Agricultural University. So he has tremendous understanding of the agricultural process, the fermentation, oxidation, the kilgrim process, all aspects of tea. So every year, he'll visit all of these tea gardens, which I'm very fortunate to be able to accompany him to go with him, and he'll go to very far regions. So every year, we go to new gardens. This year, we went to two very, very high elevation um, mountains in Hunan, 1,000 meters and 800 meters, and they're picking tea, and the farms are relatively young, about 20 years old, and it's not guaranteed that you go to a far mountain like eight-hour drive, high elevation, so clean air, beautiful-looking tea leaves. There's no guarantee the tea will taste good because the tea master may not be processing it correctly. Maybe he doesn't have fermentation knowledge. He doesn't understand how long he needs to fermentate it at what temperature to produce a good red tea. So there's a really important collaboration that needs to happen with the seller interacting with the consumers, with the distributor or tea master or colleague or partnership, that you're going to the farms and you're building a relationship. Because if you find a good garden, that's a good opportunity to work with them, build a partnership, and slowly fine-tune their teas to develop a better quality tea. So that's really important to understand. Second point that's really important is what is quality tea? So this is something that will take some time, but I really want to encourage people in America. Here at Keybook, and I think a lot of other companies are doing this too, we want to give Americans access to quality tea that's clean and affordable and tastes good. So every year where we get our tea, the city or the region might change because we don't want to give up these things. What's happening is China has a very intense history. So there were certain teas like Danchong, Dahongpao, Teguanian, um, Jinjunmei, Taiwanese High Mountain Oolong. These are just a very, very few cities, very, very few places that produce a very certain type of tea. But there's actually thousands of genres of red tea, oolong tea, green tea, and they're produced all over China. But they don't have the history associated with them to have the same amount of prestige and weight in their name as these other famous teas. Because what's happening right now in China is the middle class is growing, the wealthy class is growing, and teas like Da Hong Pao and Danchong from the actual original tree and original varietal are absolutely outrageously expensive to the point that's almost absurd, thousands of dollars. So a lot of people will go to another city, another province, 
produce a very good quality tea that tastes the same or better than some of these original varietals and call it by that famous name because it's easier to sell. It's very unlikely that the teas you're drinking actually are the original Donchon, actually are the original Donchon Power Road That's almost not possible because the price is so outrageous. And my biggest fear is that people are too attached to those names and places and they're not going to open their mind that what makes quality tea doesn't necessarily mean the name or the place, but how it's processed. Quality tea comes from high mountains. It's hand processed. It's done by tea masters. There's a lot of effort. It's a clean environment. The leaves need to be a certain shape. All of these aspects of what makes quality tea we need to slowly learn so we can develop our own taste and start to try teas from other regions that aren't so outrageously expensive. Because if we continue to go down this route of wanting certain names or certain um, cities, in five to ten years, it's absolutely impossible to get any of these teas. Almost all of them will be fake because there's very, very wealthy people in China willing to pay the price for those premium teas because they hold historical context in China where we won't pay for that historical context because we don't necessarily understand it or have it ourselves. So if it's processed from as a as as a Dahong Pao, for example, or a, or a Longjing, if it's processed in that way, but perhaps it's not from the same historical garden or the or the, or its or its historical province, uh, is it is it your assertion that it is then no longer really Dahong Pao, and we should just be a little bit we should think of new names for these these teas so we can be a little more clear about what we're drinking. This subject, I think, should be an ongoing open discussion. Because um, technically, it, the name holds a lot of weight to the region it's produced. But it's not to say you couldn't produce, like when we went to Hunan and we saw these high mountain elevation teas, I drank a lot of red tea that I thought tasted better than Jinjumei. But it was a fraction of the price. So, and it could even be considered Jinjumei, because the leaf shape and the color all looked like it. But it was from a totally different city. And I think what we should do is say, this tea is from Hunan. This is not from Wuyi or Zhejiang, but it has a taste like Jinjunmei. But here in Hunan, they call it Tianmen Hongcha, or they call it this name. But another thing I learned this year, which I didn't quite understand before, when I went to these gardens this year and I met these tea masters, I was like, what, what do you call this red tea? It's delicious. Like, what do you call this high mountain pure bud green tea? And they're like, what do you mean? We call it green tea. We call it red tea. What do you mean? It's Hunan red tea. So a lot of the farmers and tea masters don't associate a certain cultivar or name to the tea they produce. They're just trying to produce a very high-quality tea because there is bad tea and there is good tea. There's no such thing as best tea. That doesn't exist. There's too many variables in the tea industry, very much like wine. So you've got to develop your own, your own taste to the tea. Um, but I think just saying I got our, we get our tea from Hunan, every year it might change um, the city or the, or the tea garden. But what we will bring you every year as a tea company, and this is all tea companies should say this and focus on this, is we will make sure the tea is very clean, meaning that it's high elevation without pollution. Um, it's, it's processed in a very correct manner to get the correct red tea or green tea, um, and we're trying to get to an affordable price, and it's going to taste good. And I think that's the most important thing with tea. It's not the name of products, but getting quality, clean, affordable tea to the consumer so they can have their own experience and learn, oh, this taste of tea is expensive, and this taste of tea is more affordable. So learning what, what makes a tea expensive and what doesn't. Like if it's pure buds, and it's very vibrant green and very aromatic and not bitter, 
oh, that taste is associated with a higher price point. And I think just those simple things um, we need, we all need to learn more of and have more experiences of. I know that you That's have a good discussion uh, some, to keep on going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks for your answer. I know that you have some some time constraints uh, coming up here, so I just want to ask: Where can people find you on? In the internet or on social media or in person at the do you have a schedule of events that you're going to be going to over the next couple of years what's your like just plug your instagram or your twitter and... sure, sure. um so you can always check out all my recent uh, publications and articles um on macintosh t that's m-c-i-n-t-o-s-h-t-e-a.com um and that's just more educational content um the company we're currently running and sourcing for is uh tbook.co um, we also are doing private labeling and helping work with other small companies. I have a lot of strong partners here. We can do large productions of teas, blended teas, packaging, tea bags, pyramid tea bags, etc. We do that with a lot of companies in the United States. Um, also, we'll be at the Portland Tea Festival. We are a gold sponsor this year. We're also going to help produce their, their beautiful porcelain teacups um, for the festival. So be sure to check out Portland Tea Festival July 22nd. Um, the Seattle Tea Festival, we will be a bronze sponsor. Um, so be sure to check that out. I think it's September 30th. Um, and there's a Seattle Tea Tasting Studio for Tea Book that will open up again in June 1st when I'm back from China. Um, and you can find information there on teabook.co as well. Um, and we just want to welcome you all to drink some tea and hopefully we can all build this tea industry together whether you just want to drink some tea come by our studio or if you want to do some kind of cool partnership and build the industry together or if you're interested in starting your own tea company I'm always available to talk, email, chat so feel free to reach out anytime and one other thing I want to state is uh, thank you all for listening in and listening to some of my ideas but keep in mind mine, just take what I say with a grain of salt it's my personal own experience, my own biased opinion. There's obviously a lot more people you can listen to, take their takes on what we said on how the tea industry is growing. Um, I'm just one small mouth in a very, very large sea of tea industry experts. So be sure to take your own experience, learn about tea, try as many teas as possible, and really open your mind to the world of tea because it's really, really vast. And I still have a lot to learn. I learn more and more every day. It's amazing.